Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Glassboro, New Jersey. You know it right here on BlackSitRadio.com. What's up? How y'all doing? I'm always glad to be um, back with you. Just, you know what, guys, just just happy to be alive. You know, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to celebrate Alfredo's 67th birthday um, last week. And it was just amazing. We had a marathon party and we had a pool party from one to six. And then from six to like 11, we had a party party. It was catered. We had a live band. We had a live DJ, um, just the best company and friends ever. Our family came, um, you know, a black expats in Panama came and joined us. And you know, something that made me extraordinarily proud is that our neighbors were there. And it is really the first time, guys, like living here in Panama, it's so different. It's it's like the first time that I've really had a sense of community with regard to my neighborhood. Of course, I have community with you know, my friends and, you know, my sister friends and my, my people that were my client friends um, back in the States. But to have somebody across the street and that and down the road that, you know, you can go to and that you can have a relationship with. We had an after party. They all came. You know, I want to encourage everybody living abroad to just try to embrace your neighbors, even though we have different languages, we are getting to the place where we are just absolutely comfortable in getting it wrong if we have to. <laughs> and I'm just so happy about that. So it just makes your life so much nicer when you can connect with um, people in your neighborhood and different people that you meet in the country that you're in. The people in Panama are just amazingly um, kind and friendly um, people and I'm just I'm just happy to be here. And so, speaking of Panama, um, we are going to we got a really interesting conversation for you today, and we are going to talk about um, um, Boquete, Boquete. Um, and you know, Boquete. Everybody has their ideas about Boquete. You know, when I first started, you know, looking around for things, all I saw was Boquete, Boquete, Coronado you know, and then and discovered that there was so much more to relocation options in Panama. But, you know, some of what you hear about Boquete is great um, because a lot of people like it because it's about an eight hour drive from Panama City. And, um, but it's a shorter flight, I think less than an hour or something like that. You can catch a, you can catch a plane. You're going to hear, you know, Boquete is wonderful. I love the climate. It's so much cooler. You know, it's very beautiful. It's very scenic, a lot of flowers. Um, and then you're going to hear Scorpios, hear about a Scorpio, is a Scorpion, Scorpion, Scorpions and coffee farms and everything like that. And then you're also going to hear about racism you know, and how some, especially in the Black community, have started to kind of look at Boquete as, you know, little North America and not in the necessarily good way, okay? So we are trying to explore all aspects of Boquete for, um, for ourselves and for you. 
And no matter what people say about different regions or whatever, unless you're concerned about your safety um, or something like that, check it out for yourself, you know, because you may go and have a completely different experience. And so I haven't been to Bukete yet. And so I'm going to reserve my opinion, opinion about that until at least I have had a chance to set my feet on the soil. I know that I don't want to live in a cool climate. I know that I don't want to live around a bunch of trees and stuff like that. So I know that Boquete is not a place for me, Uh, but I will be visiting. But today we are going to meet a sister who her um, people are from Panama. She has come back to Panama and um, she's opened a restaurant in Boquete. And she's also, she is just a philanthropist and um, she loves to help people and you know, she's telling me about some things that I hadn't heard about in Boquete, like the poverty, um, like, um, oh God, what is it? Uh, food insecurities and things like that. It's amazing to think about food insecurities in Panama because there's so much food growing everywhere. But, you know, I had a very interesting conversation with her and I want you to be aware of things that she's doing um, in ways that we can help the the um, group of people that she's speaking about in Boquete. Her name is Priscilla Raquel Gomez, and I am going to let her introduce herself. So you know how it goes. Just hang with me for a minute. Let me get her on the line, and I will be right back. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, by way of Little Low Glassville, New Jersey, right here on Blackset Radio. Hey everybody, it's your girl Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, and I'm coming to you today to make sure that you know about our new Black Expats in Panama community platform. That's right, our BEAT community platform, or BCP. That can be found at blackexpatsinpanama.net. Just click on that link that says join the community. There you will find businesses, groups, as members, you'll be um, privy to events. You can have, you can sell things with their classified um, section. You'll get exclusive information offering and interviews. You get discounts on Black Expats in Panama meetups and tours and ITA global um, events as well and so much more. So go over there, check out the membership, see which one is right for you, and let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. Priscilla, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you. You're a mover and shaker and you know, you're always up to something good and positive. And um, I'm really glad to have connected with you here in Panama. And I just want everybody to meet you and find out what you're doing. So I've given a little introduction about yourself, but by all means, tell us what you're working with. Yeah, well, um, I was going to sing, but let me just go ahead and start. Um, you can sing well, too, right? Yes, can I can sing. sing. I like to sing. I mean, that's part of my upbringing. I, I grew up, my, my parents are both Chiricanos, which um, from my mom is from a place called Bugaba. My dad um, from Puerto. 
Um, my dad was born on a banana plantation and my mom, um, she actually was a teacher, which kind of to see where I'm at and what I'm doing now is super curious to know how your past kind of prepares you for, for where you are. Yeah, it comes full circle. Hang on one second. Tell us what Chittakita, 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 you called yourself Chittakana, Chittakana. Okay, so that means you are from Chiriqui, 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 Panama. Yeah, so Chiriqui mm-hmm. is the province that's bordering Costa Rica. Um, mm-hmm. We are considered a lot of the breadbasket of Panama. We have a lot of agriculture. We're the home of Volcan Baru. Um, we're the um, the highest point here in Panama. So we have a lot of mix of like tourism and agriculture and things that are going on here. So it's a beautiful place. If you haven't been, check it out. Okay. Okay. And you said it's close to Costa Rica? Yeah, we're the we're bordering Costa Rica. So it's um, on the Costa Rica border. It's Chiriqui. And right next to us is Boca del Toro. Uh-huh. So we're on, yeah, so we're on the Pacific side and then uh, Boca Toro is on the Caribbean side, but yeah, all bordering Costa Rica. Okay, so that's fabulous. So is, were you raised in Panama? No, I was born and raised in Kansas. I'm a Kansas girl. Uh, I'm oh. a redneck woman. <laughs> I know how class <laughs> oh. So I was born and raised in Kansas um, in a town called Junction City, Kansas, which uh, for people that are connected to the military or the army, I was right next to Fort Raleigh, Kansas. So um, that kind of explains a little bit of the mix of the person I am, because the military does bring a lot of diversity into a small town in Kansas. Mm -hmm. So um, it means that I grew up with like the church I went to, most of it was predominantly African-American. Uh, we, I would eat uh, Caribbean food on the weekends, Filipino food, and all of this because of the influence of the military. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting mix because I think when we talk about what it was it like to grow up in a small town in Kansas, although there was a lot of, you know, racism or things happening around my little town in particular because of the military and legend has it that it was a base where when these soldiers would go overseas and they would marry, especially African-American soldiers would marry, you know, a German wife or a French wife or Korean, the military didn't really know where to send these people. So they would station them in Kansas. So a lot of my friends are like black and Korean or like black and French. So it was a different, yeah. So my town is a little bit unique with, with the, with when it comes to so, all so that. that's some that's some little known history they said yeah, cool, we don't know where else to put them to take them to kansas take them to kansas. Take them over there with dorothy and toto and them. <laughs> yeah so we have like a buffalo soldier monument like there is a lot of you know and i think i was i was watching something the other day but i think when we talk about like black history in the u.s we don't really think about the midwest not at all um, the, the Civil War was started in Kansas, bleeding Kansas, wow. a lot of a lot of stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of really interesting history in Kansas when it comes. I to- get so smart doing this show. I love it. I love it. And I, and every time when I get some interesting facts like that, I just think about Oprah because sometimes when she's talking to people, she's like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's just that you learn so much, and that's why I really kind of like to. I don't want to know everything about my guest before we have an interview because yeah. I just love the you know the just the natural excitement you know an organic excitement uh, of learning yeah of discovery 
Yeah. And it's so funny because when you talk about Kansas, all people know about Kansas is like the Wizard of Oz, which isn't even real. real, Exactly. (laughs) So for me, you know, um, growing up Panamanian in Kansas was always very interesting. My parents did make sure that they would bring us here to Panama about every two years or so. Um, They forced, they spanked Spanish into me. I tell people because everybody's like, oh, how do you speak such a good Spanish? It was spanked into me. There's no, no. So uh, okay, so so you so you were raised in Kansas, and mm-hmm. you said they would bring us. So you have siblings. Yes, I have one brother. Um, uh, he's 26, 26. How yeah. how old are you? Thirty five. Thirty five. That's a good number and a good age. Yeah, <laughs> you are busy for um <laughs> for thirty five. I mean, you have a you you're very serious. For yeah. a 35-year-old woman, you're very, very serious. So, okay, so you were raised in um, Kansas, and you and your brother, your mom and your dad. So they went to, so they have gone to um, the United States before you were even born. Oh, yeah. So my dad, my dad's sister married a military guy. So um, the joke is he went to go visit his sister. And 40 years later, he's still visiting my mom to go visit my dad. And that was kind of it was a chain migration, my parents immigrating to to the U.S. Um, In the late 70s, early 80s is when they they've been yeah they've been there for a long time my dad went ahead and applied for a citizenship which is something that I'm really thankful for I, I really am thankful that my parents had enough foresight to and the means and the connections of people that helped them actually get their citizenship because it allowed for my brother and I to really experience you know the American as a citizen I have a cousin that didn't do the same thing and life as an an, an immigrant without papers in the U.S. is really hard oh, so yeah I'm very thankful that they allowed because I mean we were both able to go to college we were able to get really good jobs and everything so I'm thankful for that so did your dad end up going into the service or had your uncle no. was your uncle <clears throat> is in the service is that how they ended up yeah in the so my dad didn't go directly into any kind of service he worked more in construction he got uh, someone to sponsor him that went to like the embassy and said, hey, we're going to make ourselves responsible. Um, then years later, he did end up doing civil service. So my dad did requ- uh, did retire as a civil servant. Mm-hmm. So he, we, he still had a lot of the co- connections with the military, but not directly uh, serving. So do you have... Um... Do you have children or... Um, no, I'm single as a Pringle. Single as a Single as a Pringle, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> which in a way I think is it's interesting how God works. Um, when I decided to reverse immigrate, the fact of kind of really being able to make these decisions alone, and even mm-hmm. a lot of the things that I do now, um, being able to kind of make those decisions alone, really became really key. And it also made the process of citizenship for me a whole lot easier because I was able to apply for citizenship. Panamanian citizenship under my parents. And so I, I ended up doing that when I moved here in 2019. So the process of all of that um, kind of being single and not having any kids or independence or anything um, was, was a blessing in disguise. So. So, yes, yes. You know, I mean, there is, there is definitely, there are definitely benefits to being single. And then some people, I mean, people, people that are, people that are single, 
You know, a lot of times they think, uh, you know, I'd really like to be married. I'd really like to have, you know, a partner. And then sometimes people that are <laughs> people that are married be like, girl. <laughs> I think it's when you. Yeah. And especially if you're thinking about uprooting your life. I think mm-hmm. that the the reality was I just had to consult with me, myself and God. Freedom. In the sense That's of it. if you were married or if you have kids, like it does become a questioning can't make a selfish decision to a exactly. certain extent. And that can be really hard because the idea to leave the U.S. and move overseas, it's not an easy one. There's a lot of different feelings that you go through and just different, it, it's different. I mean, it's not, I mean, Process. it's not all rainbows and, and sunshine. And, and it's, yeah, I remember not even knowing the number of like, how do I call, if if there's an emergency, what's the number for the police? Is it still 911? <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's a new world. And, and I'll tell you something. I love interviewing couples because I like to figure out how they decided on this particular place. You know, I mean, to move to another country is, is, is quite a big deal. And so when you got to consider all the things that you have to consider as an individual and then add in all the things that you have to consider as an individual plus one or plus two or three you know, it, it makes the process a lot more, you have to be more precise. It's a lot more precision, logistics, and just heart to heart conversations and stuff. Right. Yeah. So tell me about your life in Kansas. I want to get up to the point where you, um, what you call it, re re re-entered. No, I, uh, reverse immigrant. <laughs> reverse immigrant. So tell us, tell us about what you were doing um, yeah. before you decided to make that move, yeah. and and what caused you to to decide that. Yeah. So well, growing up in Kansas, I lived most of my life in Kansas. I went to school. I went to Kansas State University. Um, I worked in finance. That was my passion. Numbers. There was um, I. My parents they uh, became part of a Pentecostal church. So I. I grew up this thing of, you know, really having a deep faith in God. But then at the same time, I love the security of numbers. Like I love that every time I sat at a computer, one plus one was two. Like there was numbers no don't faith lie. involved. Yeah, there was no faith involved because I think my whole life outside of my job was very much like you just got to believe, you know. And so there was a comfort that I had. So to me, that was the, the career path that I chose in um, 2012. Um due to a lot of like just deciding I didn't really want to be involved in Pentecostal church anymore and just huge situation with like abuse of power and everything I decided to leave church and so I moved to Orlando um, and I started working again in finance in the last few years before moving here I started working for Disney's credit union um, which allowed for me to travel around different places on um, property of Disney World, um, offering banking for services. a credit union. Yes, for a credit oh. union for Disney. Yeah, it's a credit union for just the employees of Disney. It's called Partners Federal Credit Union. Okay. Um, and it was a really interesting experience because the last few years we decided to build a mobile branch, which it looks like a food truck. And it would just go around the different parts of Disney um, offering banking services. And so for the first time as a banker, I was able to really experience what it was like to work alongside my clients. Because before then, all of my experience had been people come to me, you know, you go to the branch and everything, but I got to take the branch to them. And so 
it created a cool dynamic of, you know, going and sitting in their cafeterias, going and, um, you know, using their restrooms and, and putting debit cards in their pocket while they're, you know, over the kitchen, you know, over the stove. And so it changed the way I saw my industry. So let um, me understand. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So you would, you had like a mobile unit. Mm-hmm, and you would mm-hmm. go and actually visit your um, clients? Yes. Yeah. So what it is, is we would park, you know, because see Disney people, when they, the parks, it's like 40 square miles. So you're talking about resorts, uh, reservation centers. They have their own fire department, laundry services. I mean, it's a whole city. And so what we found out as from a banking perspective was that our credit union hours didn't quite fit the schedule for park workers. So what we started doing was, what about if we take banking to them? And so um, we built, they built the truck. I was a part of the process of building and designing and everything. And so every day I would be at a different park. So sometimes I'd be at Animal Kingdom and sometimes I'd be at Epcot and sometimes I'd be at Magic Kingdom or the different resorts. And so you really got to experience what it was like to be a cast member that up until that point, I mean, as we were considered cast members, Disney or whatever, but bank, it was still different, you know? So this immersed me in, I drank the Kool-Aid. I straight up drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty innovative of them. Yeah, it was really interesting. And it was really cool to, to be the one that was chosen to, to spearhead the program because um, I guess if anybody knows me knows, I'm pretty much like already like, Wee! So to really have, you know, someone that was a banker, but that was part of like understood the Disney culture, understood the Disney way. Um, But the reason why they picked me was so beautiful was because of that. But then at the same time, ended up turning into the reason why I had to leave, because as I became closer, closer to the workers, I started realizing, oh, my goodness, you know, Susie's sleeping in a car she didn't, she's here. Um, oh my goodness. You know, Tom, um, can't pay for his dad's funeral and, you know, you know, Miss Carolina, you know, she, she doesn't have enough to, to survive and, and oh my goodness. And so I started becoming more attached because I felt more connected to my clients than I did my fellow coworkers who were back at the branch, you know, in their little, you know, suits and stuff. Um, and I had to quit. I, I really did. I came to a point where I, I just looked around and said, this isn't sustainable. And I can't be a part of an industry that all I'm offering is more and more loans. Like, I just can't do this. And yeah. that's what kind of drove the decision. So these were business, these were like business owners. Were they like business owners? No, these are the cast them? members. No, these are the, oh, these are the people these are that work people for that parks. are working for this, working for Disney. Yeah, these are your 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 greeters. These are the people yes. that are, you know, every these are the ones that are creating the magic, as we would call yes. them. So these were the 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 restaurant waiters, the the people, the the maids that were cleaning the rooms, the ones that would greet you when you'd walk in the park, you know. And then some of them were the ones that were in upper management that were actually overseeing. So you got to see this world of have and have nots you know you'd go one day and you're oh in the corporate parking lot so now these people are like you know i'm gonna buy my yacht you know and then you go over and these wow. people you know, are, can't rub two pennies together you know and and it became 
it, it wasn't something somebody was telling me. Like it was now I got to see and I knew how far, you know, they'd have to park their car from, you know, where the hotel was because, you know, you can't ruin the magic. You know, that's the big thing, you know. So that was the, the, the big thing was is when it, the magic was ruined for me, I would go get my coffee on Magic Kingdom on the main, main street. You know, that was my, I'd go get coffee. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now I'm realizing the person serving the coffee to me is smiling and they're, hello, good morning. And then I already know that they can't bring happiness to their own kids. And I'm like, what yes. are we doing? You know, yes. and that was the thing. And in the same year, this was 2018, that was the same thing that I took to prayer. Um, I'm, I don't even know how I decided, I get, you know, God must have really, but only me decides to change a career and then also decide that I want to try to deconstruct my faith and really find God in all of this. Um, at the and same I felt, time. At the same time, don't do that. I do not <laughs> not recommend it but it was interesting to me because I felt God dealing with me and it was familiar to me and I can tell you the day I remember sitting in my bed and like I knew God was dealing with my heart but now I had questions I wasn't the girl that I was you know back before 2012 that would just be like okay you know the preacher said do something God said and here we go this time I had real specific questions and all my questions Yeah, but my questions even more so were money related. As a banker, I really wanted to take a logical question to God. And mm-hmm. I was like, God, how do you see money? I I mean, and I started, like, I remember specifically just crying and, and opening my Bible and say, reading scriptures, like, you know, you God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and all this stuff. And I'm like, you said you own cows because this is how I pray. And I said, right, um, right. But but Miss Tamara can't pay her he, rent. He ain't got no money. Can't have anything. So I started using. You said you know we're you know we're the head, not the tail. But so and so, and I started putting names to this, and I'm like you know, either we gonna figure this out, and I would be like either you're lying, they're not serving you, something something's wrong, and I just really started pondering that, and I started studying and everything, and the more I felt compelled, like. Priscilla, you're starting to become more activist about this and you can't continue on in this industry. And so I quit. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have nothing. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm done. Like, and like, then, like, for, like Forrest Gump. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> I'm just going to go. And, yes. and so then, yeah. And that became kind of how I ended up in Panama was because at the end of 2018, I was just like, I don't, I don't know who I am outside of banking. This is all I've done. I've done it for 10 years. I'm really an expert in what I do. But that makes me a problem because anytime someone's going to come to me and try to talk to me about finance like that, I'm debunking everything they're telling me. So everything they think is a solution, I'm already like, "Mm -hmm, nope, because the numbers, you know, yeah. Yeah, that compounded interest. (laughs) mm -hmm, Yeah. And so I actually came here running away. Like I tell people, I was just running away from everything and I was only going to stay here six months. So I got here in um, January of 2019 with this very specific theme, like, God, all right, like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what the plan is here, but I really want to figure this out. I have an opportunity now. Like, let's do this. Let's go. (laughs) 
So when and, you came back, did you go directly to Boquete? Because you live in Boquete now. Did you go yeah, to Boquete? Or? Kind of, sort of. I came to David, but I was mm-hmm. smart enough to understand. I was like, well, um, I want to kind of be independent. I didn't want to be dependent on my family or anything like that. So I started doing volunteer tourism at a hostel here in Boquete. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got me in the radar of a restaurant owner that needed, you know, someone that spoke English to work in the restaurant. And so I started working in the restaurant and I started meeting expats and I started asking all my nosy questions like, why are you here? And yes. what you doing here? Do you think that a war is coming? Like, you know, me being all activist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And in the process of that, I came, I think it was like my, I already had my, cause you had, I had to buy my return ticket because that's the only way they'll let you in because I right. wasn't a citizen yet. And it was getting close to that date. And, um, I started really wondering, like, should I stay? Should I go? How should long? So, but so, how long were you here the first time? Six. Well, six. I was here six months, but I never left because, in the process of that, I before my ticket date, I was like, I'm just gonna go ahead and just stay. I'm gonna yes. apply for citizenship under my parents. And so then I started that process. Um, so you, and then I, you ended up just staying out your your first, your six months U.S. passport yeah, entitlement. Yeah, I ended up staying. I ended up staying. And then I ended up starting applying for my citizen for my citizenship. And then I moved to Panama City to work uh, for a food magazine in tourism. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I started like seeing, you know, this whole food industry here and, and entrepreneurship. And I started like educating myself on like entrepreneurship classes and stuff. And I started seeing that I really like this food thing. I'm like, man, I like hanging out with like food people and, and kind of because Panama doesn't really have like food critics. So foodies kind of take up this space of we kind of go out and we talk about food and we post about it and all that stuff. So I started building a community. Um, I then began working on a, a tourism platform, um, mm-hmm. there in the city and then COVID hit. <laughs> boom, 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 pal. Here come COVID. <laughs> it's like, it's like when, when people get to that part of the story, they'd be like, and then COVID, wah, wah, yeah, wah, and then COVID, COVID came like, in, everybody was on and popping and then come COVID, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> And then, yeah. and then what? So you were still in the city when COVID. I was hit. still in Panama City. I okay. was still in Panama City, and in the middle of that, there was a guy that was working a coffee. Cause see, I tell people this all the time. It's like us poor people, we was playing with bread and stuff, and rich people was playing their money. So this guy in the middle of COVID decided that he was gonna do some sort of coffee venture, and he called me and he said, hey, would you want to consult on this coffee venture thing that I'm doing here in Boquete? I'll pay for you to relocate. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. You know, yeah. so when I got here, it wasn't what I, what I thought it was. I think the biggest thing, um, it, it, I mean, it taught me a lot. I kind of learned, got a crash course on on a lot of the different types of dynamics that happen here in Boquete with the coffee industry and just industry in general between expats and Panamanians and how things can get really messed up. So it taught me a lot. And then um, 
at the beginning the guy, of, was the guy was he an american or a panamanian yes he was an american yeah okay. he was an american and he had he tried to do a joint venture with the coffee farmer um but at the end of the day i think i think that there was just there was a lot of misunderstanding and there was just a lot of um from the panamanian side and not they didn't really have the the confidence to say that they didn't understand what was happening to them because they were getting money, you know, they needed the money and and it's just, you know, it created a really kind of a horrible dependency. And I was like, I really didn't want to be a part of that. I think that at the end of the day, you know, people, when they see me, they're like, Oh my goodness, this girl, she's American. And, but she looks Panamanian. She's going to be the one to, you know, promote all of our not so smart ideas. And then I kind of get in there and I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> you say yeah, no, no, yeah, no, um, yeah, yeah. And so then that's that was the begin the beginning of last year, 2021, was when I said, you know what, I'm done with all this. I'm just gonna do my own thing because all of y'all don't know what y'all doing. <laughs> so, so you, so you left the city. First of mm-hmm. all, do you have any other relatives still here in Panama? Yeah, I have a lot of extended family here, um, especially here. But they're Chichi. further out where in, in Chichi. Yeah, they're yeah, they're further out. And at the same time, too, I think this is like a bigger conversation of the sense of I didn't really grow up with any of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have more in common with American expats that I meet here more mm-hmm. so than my family. Um, sometimes too, you know, there's a lot of different needs that just because I'm working towards like fixing it doesn't necessarily mean that I personally have the means to like help my family sometimes. So it becomes a really delicate balance of like people like all of a sudden like, oh, Priscilla, so, you know, and I'm like, I can't help you right now. And so I kind of distanced myself from the ones that needed the help. And then there was another side of the family that's more well off that I didn't want them thinking that I had came here to mooch off of them. Mm-hmm. And so that became another thing as well. So I definitely was like, I wanted to try it. And then too, I'm just stubborn. I'm just going to be yeah, honest. Yeah, and you, and you want, I mean, you wanted your independence. And absolutely. absolutely. If, if people haven't been to the U.S. or haven't spent any time living in the U.S., sometimes they just automatically assume that we have money. Yes. You know, yes. they just automatically, she's from, she's from the U.S. She's a great, she has money. You know, she's she has money. And then yeah. it's like, then it's, then it's all about, then it's, then it gets into perspective, you know, and it's like, okay, that's like when people say to me, I say, well, what was the pricing like? And they say, well, it was kind of pricey. And I say, well, what is that? I mean, that just depends on what's, what depends on what's in your wallet. Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. what you have may seem like a whole lot to them, but for you knowing the expense, you so I said, you can't count my money without counting my bills. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And I think too, you know, there's a, there's a thing. And I, I think that like the way that I can explain it is that sometimes when God calls you to do something, mm-hmm. the your family or your close friends, they don't understand. And so they knew the person you used to be. And so sometimes distancing yourself from a lot of that for a certain amount of time until you 
until you're sure. Cause yeah. that was a big thing too. Like for me, I remember just really being like, God, are you sure? Cause I don't know, you know, I'm not, I ain't nobody. Like if you, if you calling me, that means you done like a whole bunch of people done ignored you before. Like, I mean, I know I ain't the top of the list. And so when it comes to dealing with that coming here, it, it was, it was hard enough for me to find you know, my voice, find what God had for me, and then also have to justify it to my family, my friends. And it was just too much. It Mm -hmm. was just too much. And so I'm like, you know what, like, I I did separate myself. Just because I did the same thing. And, you know, I had, you know, some of our experiences are a little parallel, in the sense that I started these tours. And I started the Black Expats in Panama Cultural Relocation Tour. The first one, was May of 2021, 2021. And it was all new. It was brand new. It was something, I was a fish out of water. You know, I've never done tourism. You know, I didn't know a whole, whole lot about, um, you know, Panama was really just stepping out on faith. You know, I made you know, I was planning my work and working my plan. I had connected myself with really competent, knowledgeable people so that I would, you know, I could, I could watch and learn. And it was stressful. You know what I mean? It was stressful because it was like, okay, I've taken these people's money and now they're going to come out here. And I just pray, oh God, that everything goes right. You know, we were just coming out of the, the, just getting to the point where we could travel again, really. Um, when we got out here, I really hadn't had a chance to, to come out and do no dry run of the tour or anything like that. And I had a family member that was coming on the first tour and we had a disagreement. <clears throat> and I said, listen, I can't have, I, I, I can't, I can't with that energy. I can't have that. Absolutely not. I said, I have too much to do. And just that one day where we had this big blowout, it took me off my game for a whole day. And I said, in addition to everything else that I'm doing, I don't have time for emotional breakdowns. You know what I'm saying? I really don't because it takes me off my game. This is something that's new to me and I got to be in it 100%. And if, if you can't come with the right spirit, I don't want you here. And when I I tell you that was a very, very, very close, 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 family member who I love to this very day and have not spoken to again since. Yeah, it's hard. And I think at the, I think I had to come to the realization is that like, once I act, you know, there's, there's certain people that follow that have faith and they act. And then there's some people that see those actions and have faith. It's kind of an opposite thing. And so what ends up happening is that if I'm waiting for them to see to believe we just we kind of are like you know one's one's the engine one's the caboose they're both important and they're both needed but I think if the engine is too busy trying to get the caboose you know to to you, you end up just going yes. in circles and it's yes. really unhealthy so that was you know that and I think and counterproductive yeah and so at the beginning of this year I was like you know I'm just going to really 
focus on the Gringa Foodie, which was my brand of really just uniting the communities and saying, hey, you know, I want for, you know, um, Panamanian business owners here in Boqueta, especially in restaurants, to benefit from our expat community because it wasn't really happening because what ends up happening is that, you know, we're creatures of habit and we're, we look for the easiest way. So when you come to a place like Boquete and if you walk into a restaurant as an expat or as a tourist and you don't understand nothing that's going on around, you don't understand none of the food, you don't understand the menus, you don't have anybody to speak in English, it's harder for you to feel comfortable. It's not possible. I mean, and it's no one's fault. It's just harder to feel comfortable. So you find that, you know, expats were gravitating toward these places where it was expat owned and everything. And I'm like, man, but I think it'd be really cool to have someone experience, you know, Panamanian food and everything. So I started hosting those. I started hosting events and it was really much to unite my expat friends with my Panamanian restaurant owner friends. It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't do it to get rich or make any money or anything. I really just said, I just want to create a space to have a good time. Yes. Yeah. And in the process of that started, you know, connecting with a lot of chef friends. friends. Yeah. And then I started, the bigger picture was, okay, if this is a tourist town, why aren't there more Panamanian experiences, you know, so I wouldn't want someone to come to Boquete and think that Panamanian food is hamburgers and pizza or Italian food, you know, because, you know, because people go and they want a taste of home. But the problem is that when you're in a tourist town, you also need to have authentic things. And Mm -hmm. so that became a conversation with a chef friend of mine and he was kind of tired of his previous job. He'd been there for 16 years. And he's like, let's do an event. And so I said, okay, let's do an event. And we were we approached one of the local restaurant owners. And they were in the middle of some legal changes. And so he's like, Priscilla, I really can't host the event right now. But we were organized, me, right. the chef, and another guy. So we said, we just going to have to find another building. Yes. And so we found this place that had been closed because of COVID. And the lady said, well, if you guys want to clean it up, you guys can have your event there. And so I said, okay. It took us like two weeks to clean it up. Cause I mean, it'd been closed the whole time. I know for COVID. that was something. So it was you know, I mean, it was, it was dirty. It was everything. And it was just, was like it moldy? Do you have mold out there? Yeah, it was a little moldy, but mostly it was just dirty. It was just dusty. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. everything. And so just a group of us, a group of friends, we said, okay, cause we not, we don't got no money to pay nobody to clean. So yes. us. <laughs> and so we hosted the event. The yeah, it was Mother's Day last year. We did the Mother's Day. And the next day, the lady calls us and she said, well, I really like the concept of what you guys put forward. Do you guys want to open a restaurant? And this is us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We walked Yes, out there. let's do this. Right. We walked out of there. He's like, Priscilla, have you ever opened a restaurant? I'm like, no. I was like, have you ever opened a restaurant? As well, I kind of have experience. No. <laughs> So we got one of our other friends involved that she has done. Um, she worked with Management. Isaac. Uh-huh. Yeah, she knew more of the administrative part. Yes. And so we took off. We opened up a restaurant called Nodri, wow. which means roots in Nobe. And the idea was kilometer zero. We wanted to really highlight 
the things here in Chiriqui. We wanted to highlight Panamanian food. We wanted Panamanian art. We wanted Panamanian dancing. We wanted it to be a tourist experience here. And that's kind of, you know, what I spent last year um, doing. And um, it's still the, it's still there, you know, this without fear of failure. We haven't failed yet. Knocking on wood. Do you have do you have all do you have all three meals? Are you open all day or no, lunch and dinner? So we so we started off again because we're poor. Um we started off just being open Thursday through Sunday. Um just lunch and dinner. First just dinner, and then we did lunch and dinner. And now we're open Wednesday through Sunday, lunch and dinner. So we open at noon. Um we close at three from lunch, and then we open again at five for dinner. Um, and so far, um, it's been good. It's been, it's been an adventure. It was a crash course of doing business here in Panama. It is not easy. Hey, it's, it's, it's not, but, um, you know, you, you had help. You had a team. Apparently y'all worked well together. It's so funny how sometimes God will bring you to a place and you think that you're coming to the place for one thing or that he's bringing you to this place for one thing. And it's actually completely different. I mean, you may not have, yes, you may not have, you know, you went there for the coffee experience that was like, nah, nah, this not me, but you ended up to be in the place that, you know, you are an integral part of that community now. And, you know, you mentioned bringing the expats, uh, expat community together. And I'm, I'm going to ask you something. If, I hope you don't mind answering because I, I didn't talk yeah. about it before. But, you know, there's, what, how do you see the expat community in, in Boquete? And do you see one of, the, one of the reasons why there's a lot of people in the Black expats in Panama community who are just not interested in Boquete yes. because yes. of a lot of things that we hear. And I think yes. when I say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And um, so there have been members who, I know members who have left, you know, Boquete because they said that they witnessed um, Confederate flags. They said that they saw, you know, MAGA paraphernalia and stuff and those are just things that we are very sensitive to absolutely and 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 a lot of the reason that most of us well maybe not most of us i'm not going to say that but a lot of people will tell you that's why i left the united states so what is your perception of that and how do you see the the expats that are there in general yeah um when I first got here, it was definitely just one demographic that I was exposed to. The, the longer I'm here, um, it is starting to be a little bit more diverse. We're starting to see a lot more younger people. We're starting to see a lot more people of color. Um, I was actually talking to part of my, I call her the Boquete Welcome Committee, me and Galen. Galen and I, we, <laughs> anytime anybody posts coming to Boquete, we're like, yes, reach out to us. But we were talking about this. And I think what it is, is, you know, Boquete may not be for everybody, but mm-hmm. I don't like it when people think it's not an option, you know, or so, I mean, we're working very hard to, to highlight these, um, these different types of, of people that are coming to Boquete, because I think what ends up happening is, is if you cater to a certain demographic, that's all you're going to get. 
you know, so before it was very much retiree of certain ethnicities or certain people that even would be brought to look at this. So white people, like white Americans. Yeah, white Americans mostly. And so what Mm -hmm. ends up happening is now we're starting to see the switch and older white Americans. Now we're starting to see a lot more younger, even younger uh, white white Americans deciding to move here. And then also more people of color that are saying, hey, like, I like cooler weather. I like hiking, you know, because I think that there's also these things that people have kind of stereotyped and said, oh, well, you know, uh, Black people wouldn't be interested or Latino people, you know, um, you know, people wouldn't, you know. So these these are the things that are changing is, is that we're also, you know, being able to discover certain things that we may not have known we liked. And I think that this is, you know, a bigger topic of saying, you know, what have even Black Americans been exposed to in the States? Mm -hmm. You know, you you may say, well, I don't, I don't like hiking. Well, have you ever been able to have an opportunity (laughs) to go hiking? You know, and so there's these things that kind of open up a bigger conversation of, you know, you, you kind of, uh, because of just the the society has kind of told you what where black people should be and how they should act and so and the things that they should like and so I think that now we're starting to see that that's becoming more mixed so, which I'm excited uh, that is about. a very good point <laughs> that is a very good point and you know a lot of the um advice is to come to a new space ready and open to do a new thing. This is a whole new country and you're exactly right. And when I think of the things that black people want to do, hiking ain't one of them. You know, you're so right. And it's like when we first created our tours, our, uh, oh my goodness, me and Krista Pugh, you know, Krista Pugh. Yes, yes. Well, that's my, that's my peoples. That's my partners. (laughs) And when he designed part of the tour, and I realized that it included, you know, being on an island and taking this little old boat from the marina to the island. And oh my God, when I saw we were going through the Lover's Canal, the Lover's Tunnel mm-hmm. uh, at Isla Mame, where, you know, all the, the man going through the, the mangroves. mangroves. Oh girl, I think that was the first time I cursed at him. And I was like, <laughs> how could you? And it was already in the itinerary. It was like, I couldn't take it out. But I was horrified myself to experience those things because it just wasn't what I do. And I was like, Black people do not like this. <laughs> but yeah. what was hilarious was that I found that to be true in some instances. Like we were, you know, we were apprehensive about it. Like, uh, I don't know if you follow Black comedians, but like Cedric began to tell and say, we run, you know, Black people are scary. You know, everybody else is running. We don't have to know what they're running for. Like, we just running. We see everybody else running. We run it too. But it's really, oh my gosh, Priscilla, you just brought out such a good point because I have really had to stretch myself and open my mind and at first the first tour that we did the people the poor people that was on the boat with me I made them take me back another way 
I didn't go through the mangrove and the people that was on the boat with me, they didn't know what they were missing, you know, but the other people had this experience and I was like, they were like, oh my God, it was so amazing. The poor people on the boat with me because I refused to go through there. So yeah. then I just decided that I needed, I, I would have to take one for the team. You yeah. know, if I was going to be the leader and I have to recognize that it's okay to try different things and not just assume that everyone feels like me because a lot Absolutely. of people really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think, I think that too, you know, it's, it's, it's redefining, you know, what it is to be us, you know I mean? I yes. think that, you know, we've, we've allowed ourselves to sometimes fit in these stereotypical boxes. And so then that's been the fight with, you know, um, with Boquete in particular, it's like, you know, oh no, you know, but that's not a place for us to go. Well, if we all think that, then you're right. It won't right. be a place for us because none of us are going to come. None of us are going to be there. You know, none of us are going to be there. And so I think that this idea though, that, you know, it shouldn't be added to our um, experiences, you know, because yeah, and I'm not going to lie. It's not perfect. Yeah. That you'll find, you know, um, racist type, of of people and everything but the reality is is that what I have found is when we're present here and this kind of leads on into the philanthropy part of it you know when we're present we're so it's easier for us to connect to our communities because we're not coming from a place of saying that where we come from has it all figured out and that's such a key part of of all of this experience. And so then we get to actually be ambassadors for, for the U.S. in a way that we would have never even imagined. Because at the end of the day, it's so funny because I think we talked about this is we don't realize because we're so used to being second class. We don't realize that when we leave the U.S., we all of a sudden, we clumped in with the gringos. We, <laughs> you know, we're clumped in to because now it's about where we're from and so you know being able to kind of show a different face of saying hey like you know yeah I'm from the U.S. but I look like you and Mm -hmm. my ancestors uh went through the same thing that maybe you're presently going through and being able to have those moments I think is is really beautiful and so yeah I'm just and we and we do that like on the tours I mean that is what makes our tours so very different. I mean, we do the relocation part and that's, you know, pretty standard. Yeah. We have fun because we like being together, but I mean, like being able to connect and teach people about the Afro Panamanian culture um, in the meantime, I think is so important. And, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, like I, I, w- I wouldn't think of going you know, to Boquete, and I am going to go, I am going to go soon and, 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 and see uh, Boquete for myself, because I haven't been there. And honestly, Mm -hmm. the whole point for me, for for timing and schedule and everything is one thing. But Boquete, I know, I, well, I just feel like it, it wouldn't be a place for me, regardless of all the other stuff, because I like the warm weather here. And because, um, I I don't like a lot of green, uh, you know. I could I could no I could be in the suburban jungle. Um, that's that's enough for me. Um, and I, you know, I just I just kind of like the vibe of a place like this more mm-hmm. 
um, I, I think, and I definitely want to be warm, but not to say that, but I always tell people, you know, go see places for yourself. If you think yes. that Boquete is a place that you might be interested in, then go see it and you make that choice for yourself. There's nothing more powerful than that. And when people come on our tours, you know, we let them know, you know, we're not going to go to Boquete on this particular tour. However, comma, if you do want to go to Boquete, we have the wherewithal and the connections to make sure that you get to Absolutely. see it in a safe and productive way. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where, you know, I mean, now it's, it's evolved into, you know, we offer cooking classes at the restaurant where the chef is able to teach people, you know, how to cook different traditional Panamanian dishes. Um, We offer traditional dancing at, you know, if people want to experience that and the indigenous culture, which is something that like I'm starting to get involved with now with my work with the foundation mm-hmm. um, and understanding that. And so then it's it's a place where you can learn a little bit about a lot of stuff. And for me, it's about, I mean, the name of the restaurant connects with me because, you know, I'm learning my roots. I'm, I'm connecting to my roots and my yes. heritage. So being able to tell that story, um, you know, is, is super interesting to me as I learn about it, because that's the thing. And I think we were talking about this, you know, earlier is, as you move into the sphere of now, um, kind of speaking for a people or speaking for a place in this case, I'm starting that there was so many things that I didn't learn and I didn't know. And and so then it's taken a lot of time of of studying and, and really being boots on the ground and, and kind of learning because I, now I started to represent a place that I necessarily really didn't know a lot about mm-hmm. and a culture that I didn't really know about. So I've had to kind of like, you know, slow down a little bit and really study and then start to really talk with friends and say, hey, can you educate me, give me books, give me material, um, and kind of really understanding, you know, what what's really happening here um, from a social perspective. And yes. Because it does impact. That's important. Yeah. yeah, That's important. And it's something that we're going to move into that because it's something that we don't really get a lot of information about from from the Black, as far as the Black expats community. And it's one of the many reasons why, you know, I'm happy to have you on. Let me ask you this real quickly, though, before we go into that. Yeah. We'll be um, getting ready to wrap up. How do you identify? As a chidi gringa. For the first time. A chidi gringa. So yeah, how did you the, identify in the United States? Or didn't you? Panamanian. Panamanian. In the States, I was Panamanian. You okay. Know, and, and it's so funny because I remember, especially working at Disney, they make you wear a name tag that says where your hometown is. My hometown said Junction City, Kansas, because that was my hometown. Yes. But yes. then what happens is everybody would say, but no, where are you really from? And so you'd be like, well, I was born and raised in Kansas, but my parents are from Panama. So that kind of became the standard line. When I moved here, I'm like, I, I don't know what I thought in my head, but I'm like, oh, man, you know, um, I'm never going to have to explain that anymore. And I find myself explaining it more. Because I can't say I'm from Bugaba or from Puerto Reyes, because then people be like, oh, do you know such and such family? And do you know? And I'm like, exactly. Yes. And I don't understand all the words. There's a lot of the history behind why the way you talk. They know you, you know, you don't have a Panamanian accent or anything like that. So and now the, the indigenous um, is definitely uh, history 
it's my next history to explore here. So yes. you became, um, you you got into like the the giving. You 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 got yeah. Into so the I've always into been community. Yeah. So I've always been really passionate about, about giving. And I think at the end of the day, when you're talking about a conversation about how God sees money, you get into this world of what people call philanthropy or social issues. And so at the beginning of this year, the local rabbi um, took over one of the foundations here. And with him taking over the foundation, um, he asked me if I would help him run the foundation and kind of figure out, you know, how, um, what projects we should be investing in and all that stuff. And so then I got really excited because I'm like, yes. So the chef goes, Priscilla, last year you opened a restaurant. This year you're working on a foundation. I was like, yep. Next year, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> and so then with the working with the foundation, I started visiting the local schools, especially the rural schools. And I was blown away. I just, it broke my heart. But I also knew that I wasn't completely qualified to be able to deal with any of the issues. So I reached out to a friend of mine who lives here in Boqueta as well, who she's a part of a Panamanian foundation called Fundación Rescate de Alimentos, um, which is a a foundation that deals with food insecurity and using waste, food waste. And so with that, I told the rabbi, which um, he's the president of ACCB, which is the one that I work for. I said, man, I really want to partner with this foundation because I really think that this is something important that we should be focusing on. And so that's where our pilot program was born. Um, we are currently working on trying to create a sustainable uh, school kitchen in one of the rural multi-grade schools. And it's completely changed my life because um, in a place of so much abundance, which is Boquete, um, we have kids that are, um, you know, dying of hunger or have severe food insecurity. And I think that, you know, it, I want to mention, you know, and I tell this to people all the time, I think what makes our coffee world renowned is the same thing that makes the industry so exploitive. What a lot of people don't understand different from a lot of other coffee producing countries is that we're here, um, they're hand selecting every bean of coffee. So anytime you buy Panamanian coffee, there is an actual human hand that touched that bean. And so then by default, this is creating a, an industry that can be very exploitive. Um, and, it, and you see it, you can see it, you know, if you leave the bubble of Boquete and you kind of drive into the mountains, you're, you're going to see a lot of things. How that, far is it from like the city? Oh, we're talking, we're talking about, I mean, you don't have to go very far. I think even it, it'll start about maybe five minutes outside of, of Boquete. Yeah. You'll start to see as you go into the mountains, you'll begin to see. And the, the thing about, about Panama in particular, that's very interesting is that you have the social bubbles colliding. It's the same issues that we talk when we talk about social issues and hunger and people in extreme poverty, it happens in the U.S. as well. But what ends up happening is, is the bubble, you don't necessarily see it. 
you know, um, here in Boquete, you can have a mansion right next to a shanty. You know, I mean, it, it's very much the reality, you know, of you have very plantation style where you have like the master house and then you have like tenement housing and things. So you have a lot of that that looks um, very in close proximity. So you, it's impactful because you see it, you know, it's not hidden. Mm. Um and so, so for me, as I started to educate myself on, on all of this, um, I go up to the school every day, pretty much. Um, and we're starting to really learn about um, what their life is like, you know, how much do they get paid? Um, you know, what is literacy like among women? You know, what are rights for the women? You know, how much uh, you say, how much, how much do they get? So the, when you go to the school, the school is the students who are the children of the workers. Yes. They're the children of the workers. Yes. Okay. And mm-hmm. what is the, do you know, can you tell us what is the average pay? For, for the workers? Um, for this particular farm that we're working on, we're talking about $89 every two weeks. Um, this is justified because um, housing is provided, but when we're talking about housing, it is a very loose interpretation of, of housing, you mm. know? Um, so, you know, when, when we got involved with the school, you know, our ma- main focus is, is, you know, we, we're not there to deal with with the waste mm-hmm. of food waste that stuff that's being thrown away it's like 150 million tons of food gets thrown away here in Panama food not trash food um, mm-hmm. just because of overproduction and just mismanagement of the supply chain there's a lot of different things um and we're also not really there to to deal with um the disparities the of income the so mm-hmm. yeah we we can't because again it's such a big topic. And this farm that we're working on, it's not like, oh my goodness, these are the worst ones. Like, I mean, it's a culture. It's a culture that that keeps this in place because you need the next generation of coffee workers. So all we're focusing on is saying we can change this through food. You know, through the kitchen, we can create um, we can create maybe a community of kids that will grow up and feel seen, will feel heard, will feel valued. Um, because we're giving dignified food. I think that for anybody that was here during the protest um, and may not understand all of the dynamics of this, um, a lot of it has to do with the stuff that I'm talking about. You know, you start dealing with, you know, how schools are funded and how incompetent the system for funding is. Then you start to talk about, um, you know, what are the, even when they do get donations, what are those donations? And um, those are some of the things that we're trying to change, you know, saying, hey, I think that it's um, dignified for a kid, indigenous, poor, you know, brown, black, uh, low income, whatever, to be able to have a, a full course meal. When I'm saying, you know, a a salad, a some sort of carb, some sort of dignified protein, you know, and every once in a while a dessert. I think that that's that should not that should not surprise people. I think white rice and sardines is not considered dignified. I don't think that just cream of rice 
you know, every day that's served at school is dignified, you know, and I think that that's the thing. It's not even about, you know, donating. It's, it's dignified donations. Would you eat it? Would you sit down at a table and say, right. oh, yes, Would I'm excited to your friends. So, yes. So about how many students are in the school? So in our school in particular, there's 53 um, these are rural, uh, like almost very one one room schoolhouse type of, of, of classroom. So you're talking about um, one of these te- at our school in particular, there's three teachers. One of them is kindergarten. And then there the rest of the grades through sixth grade are divided between the other two teachers. And one of those teachers is the principal. So begin to understand how chaotic it is for mm-hmm. for a teacher principal to try to navigate um, just the school system here, which is, I'm convinced is designed to not work, but that's another topic. (laughs) That's another, that's another show. Okay. So, oh my gosh, we got to go. So let me just, first of all, let me just ask you this. I've often wondered like, so what other food grows in Panama? I mean, in Boquete. So we grow everything here. Like people don't realize how much of the food that you get from like, if you go in Panama City, I don't know if you've heard of like Merca, Panama, um, or like even if you go to like uh, San Felipe Neri or even some of the like, um, so we're growing here, potatoes, peppers, onions. Um, we're growing um, lettuce, any anything that's like lettuce, uh, any um, onions, um, garlic, um, yeah, we're growing a lot of like different stuff. Now, the, um, some of the stuff that we're not growing here in particular is like rice. Rice tends to be more Darien or some of the other provinces um, and the sugar cane and stuff is being grown. But outside of that, pretty much our soil because of the volcano is very fertile. So you'll have a lot of the food production is coming um, from Boquete. And I don't know if you noticed it, but during the protests, if you're in Panama City, how the produce, how the produce sections in your grocery stores started to be really thin. And a lot of that is because most of what we consume as far as potatoes, lettuce, onions, peppers, um, and stuff is coming from here. Um, Mm -hmm. Celery, um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> wow. So um, <clears throat> we'll have to get together and talk again, and I'm hoping to come out and see you yeah. soon. Um, but can you just tell us how to find you? Um, yeah. And just if there's anything that so if somebody's listening and they want to be a part of helping, you know, if they, even if they're not here in Panama at this time, what can we do? So um, what people can do, you can find us um, or I'm on Facebook as ACC Boquete, um, also La Gringa Foodie. Um, you can also um, find the other foundation, which is the Panamanian, but that's a really long name, um, Fundación Rescate de Alimentos. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So I have the ACC Boquete. I'll have the links. Yeah. So I'll put that as well. We also have a Guanto app which is our kind of, it's, it helps us. It's kind of like our crowdfunding type mm-hmm. um, application where people can pay with credit card oh. or um, Panamanian bank transfer. 
Um, and people can give to specific needs um, that we have. We have like our school kitchen and sometimes we're working on certain like water projects or things like that. So people can donate to something that they specifically want that we're doing here. Um, as far as, you know, how, for me, the biggest thing is just raising awareness about about what's going on in not just here in Panama, but in Latin America, people don't understand, you know, how we're the breadbasket for some of these countries, but we also are suffering from a lot of um, food scarcity, mm. um, a lot of lack of access to healthy meals and stuff. So I think it just requires a, a broader conversation um, for us to kind of understand that while we're blessed and thankful in our bubble, that that may not necessarily be the reality for people outside of it. So um, but yeah, I mean, I want to personally say thank you for giving us the space. And I encourage people to come visit Boquete while you're here in Boquete. Um, normally, there may be volunteer opportunities. So you can add in some fun and also come out and learn a little mm -hmm. bit more about what we're doing. And then also, I, you know, encourage the people who are in Boquete, living yes. in Boquete, if you don't know about what um, what Priscilla is doing to get in touch with her. Absolutely. See how the, because, you know, a lot of times we do want to help. Uh, we really do. And, and I really like that we come with that spirit. But listen, I got to run. Um, yes. It has been an absolute joy to speak with you. I will make sure all of your information is shared. Yes. And I appreciate you giving us that different perspective and letting us know in areas that we can actually be of assistance in Boquete because yeah. who knew? Right? Yeah. So yeah. now and, we know. And, um, yeah. and and hopefully people will consider um, visiting um, Boquete. So thank you, my love. You're welcome. You're okay. welcome. Take care. Have a good day. You too. And there you have it. Wow. Another great show you know people that move about internationally I'm just finding are so interesting and I think the biggest takeaway that I have from my talk um, with Priscilla is just living on purpose living on purpose instead of just getting up and doing what you do you know on a daily basis just taking that time to just kind of connect with what you really should be doing you know and for me and for her too you know listening for the voice of god and making those moves you know but to be able to look back on your life and to know that with all of the blessings that you've had in your life and um that you've been able to share the blessings with others as well is just absolutely outstanding. I don't remember if we mentioned it in our conversation, but as Tirsa, you know, uh, you met Tirsa a few weeks ago. She is my person, my baby girl here in um, Panama. And um, the way that she ended up going into Boquete to work was Priscilla approached me about a need that they had in, in Boquete. And then that relationship evolved over time, but it was Priscilla reaching out to try to serve another need in Boquete, which is natural hair care, um, that actually brought Tirsa there. And Tirsa has clients there that she goes back and forth. So, you know, it's just like full circle. And I'm just glad to be a part of this community. And I appreciate what Priscilla is doing. And we will definitely need some contact information when we post this interview. But for now, I got to get out of here. I uh, just want to thank Priscilla again for being on the show. and. Um, 
you know, showing us a different side of Boquete. Now, as far as the song that one of her favorite songs, and you know, she's a baby, so, uh, but one of her favorite songs from the 70s or 80s, she picked Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, which is a good, good, good selection. So anyway, that's what we're going to leave you with today. I'd like to thank my main man, Daryl Spears of Elite Conversations Podcast Media for producing this show for me and just for being, you know, a really long partner uh, with me and business um, business colleague. And I thank him for his service. And then I'll just want to tell you, follow us everywhere, Black Expats in Panama. Don't forget to come on over, check out the Black um, Expats in Panama community platform, BCP. Until then, I love you. I love you. I love you. And there was just nothing you can do about it. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Glassboro, New Jersey, right here on BlackSitRadio.com. I'll see y'all next week. Make it a great one.